Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. All right. I'm so excited to have as my guest today, Kyle Rode, who is the VP of Global HR at CPM Holdings, also the host of Rebel HR Podcast and co-founder of Disrupt HR Cedar Valley. That's a lot of titles, Kyle. So welcome to you and all your titles. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Glad, Glad you're here. Yeah. Thank you for joining me. I, I, we joked a little bit off the air before we jumped in here. Just because you are a podcast host as well, this is the first. You're the first guest I've had that also actively has a podcast. So um, I have to admit, I'm a bit intimidated because you know what you're doing, and you're going to be like, "Oh, this guy really doesn't know what he's doing." Nobody knows what they're doing, Spence. <laughs> We're all just winging it, and if they tell you different, they're yeah. full of it. <laughs> Isn't that true in life too? Like, <laughs> I think much. that's yeah, that's usually true. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Good way to start things off. No, but so tell us about you. I mean, we'd just love to hear some of the the highlights of just a little bit of a quick bio of yourself and what you've been up to and what, what's brought you to what you're doing now. Absolutely. Thank you uh, so much. Happy to be here and uh, appreciate the opportunity to connect and. Um, you know, as, as far as my background, so I call myself, I'm an accidental HR guy, um, started off in operations and I was in the retail sector for a while. Uh, and I was like, gee, I'd really like a desk, desk job. So, um, HR, I'm like, Hey, they get to sit down. So that was pretty <laughs> much it. That was about how much thought I put into it. And, and all kidding aside, I had an absolutely wonderful, uh, mentor at, uh, at my first company and he kind of led me the way he was a Great leader, positive guy, um, and really, uh, you know, kind of showed me what HR could be. And I've been trying to live up to his, uh, his inspiration ever since. So I've been in, uh, retail manufacturing. I'm most recently vice president of human resources for, uh, CPM. We are a global manufacturing firm and we make, uh, capital equipment for the ag industry, materials, um, you know, recycling, machinery, oil seed processing, all sorts of fun, cool, exciting stuff. Um, and that's, uh, that's my, my nine to five. And then I do, uh, do the podcast, uh, as well. We started that in the middle of COVID-19 because I'm a serial networker and I needed to continue to, uh, to talk to other people and, uh, and learn from others. And so that was really the, uh, the start of the podcast. We actually just, just, uh, recorded our 50th episode. Um, with my co-hosts, Patrick and Molly. And it was actually the first time that we were all in the same room, uh, recording the podcast. So it was a big, big moment. We may have cracked a few cold ones. It was a, it was a good time. So it's, it's <laughs> been a fun ride. Uh, applaud that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I would say the only other, only other thing I'd add there is, um, you know, my, my passion really lies in disruption. And I think about it in the terms of creative destruction as it relates to the processes and paradigms that we work in, uh, within the world of work. And so, you know, I'm just kind of a natural, um, natural questioner of the way we do things. And, uh, that's, that's where my passion lies is let's, let's tear stuff down and build it back up better. Love it. That's awesome. I definitely want to dig into that a bit before we do. I want to go back to one of the other things you said in your intro, as you referred to the great mentor, that was a big part of why you chose this path. You used the phrase, showed me what HR could be. What, what did you mean by that? Like, what, what was it about his approach or his leadership profile, I guess, or whatever that uh, inspired you? 
Absolutely. So um, I don't know, this might be a surprise to you and your listeners, but HR doesn't always necessarily have the best rep. <laughs> Where the like the PC police or the cop or you know you walk in the room and everybody's like shh HR's here don't yeah. you know it, you know and, I, and I, I've lived that I get it right like we we do have to toe the company line sometimes but um you know my my mentor's name's Todd um he was just a wonderful human being and he exemplified what it means to be a human um in in human resources and it was all about making the organization a better place to work and making the team as strong as they could be together. And, you know, for me, that's really something that um, I try to remember day in and day out. A lot of times the things that we deal with in the world of HR are not so nice. And, um, you know, so it's for, for me, he was one of those inspirational figures that, that showed me, um, you know, how to, how to actually be authentic and supportive in HR. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm trying to live up to that every, uh, every day ever since. So. Well, that's, that's awesome. I love it. I'm sure you, you probably have had lessons that you've learned from every interview, but as you do many interviews, again, congratulations on passing 50. That's awesome. Um, I'm a little bit behind you. We're coming up on our 40th now. Um, but I've, I've definitely noticed some patterns. And one of the patterns that I've noticed is how often, the guest on that episode will mention a mentor uh, and just point to somebody who was really pivotal in, in one, one key moment or several, you know, chapter of life or whatever it was. So anyway, I'm so glad you, you called Todd out in a positive way and shout out to Todd for just the human being, as you put it, that, that he is uh, in demonstrating what it should look like. And, and now that's such an important part of the blueprint of how you approach things. Absolutely. We're all in this together. Got it. You got to, you got to find your people. You got to find a tribe and, whether that's a traditional mentorship relationship or it's a just somebody who taught you something, um, yeah, you, you you've got to rely on others for sure. I love that. I lo- love that very much. So going back then to the other key that, that stood out in your intro, creative destruction. Passion lies in disruption. I love the, that phrase, creative destruction. You also touched on that a bit um, in our planning session a few weeks back before we hit record here. Uh, so, I mean, where, where does that really come from? Why is that such a focus for you? Yeah, so it's so I'm a little bit of a of a nerd, um, and I I, I I like economics, and so that that comes from you know the old the school of Milton Friedman, which is the the tenet of capitalism that creative destruction occurs when a better solution comes along, and consumers will destruct. Uh, a company that does not provide them the needs that they, uh, that they have. And I, and I, I prescribe to that thinking in the world of, of my work from the standpoint of I treat my team like internal customers. And so if I am providing a solution that they don't want, eventually that creative destruction will occur, whether that's my career and not working there anymore, or they don't leverage me appropriately in my role. And that's, and I, I tell my team that same thing that, listen, we're here in the customer service function. We're just internal customer service. And, and that means that, um, you know, if there's a process that doesn't work, we need to blow it up and build it back better. If something is, uh, systemically wrong in the way that we do something, then we need to fix it. So, 
Uh, a great example of, of creative destruction is policy development. So everybody loves a good policy. I know every time that handbook comes out, everybody flips through every single page, internalizes it before they sign it. 100%, right? <laughs> You're um, right. <laughs> I've actually, I've had that twice in my career. So I've done this, <laughs> done this almost two decades and I've had two people who said, I will not sign this handbook. I have to read the whole thing and make sure I understand everything. I'll get it back to you in, in three weeks. I'm like, <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. But when my so one of my theories is okay, I'm happy to build policies if we need a policy. So the first question is, is it needed? The second question is, okay, let's say we validated it's needed. What stupid policy are we killing so that we can put this in place? And, you know, that's just my, my rule that, you know, if we're going to build out some sort of structure or something like that, it's got to make sense and we've got to keep it simple and achievable. Um, otherwise it's completely worthless. And, you know, so that's, that's kind of one of the, one of those examples. I think the other, the other example is if you look at some of the, some of the challenges in, in the workplace related to, um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, you know, giving people second chances that maybe made mistakes earlier in their lives, those types of things. There's a lot of systemic barriers woven into a lot of workplace structures that don't need to be there, you know, and, and, um, that's one of the things that I'm also very passionate about is that if there's a system in place that's preventing you from getting connected to the right level of talent or disconnecting you from your community, um, something's wrong. Let's, let's, let's get rid of it. Let's knock down those barriers to success. And ultimately, uh, that is one of, uh, in my opinion, one of the areas of, of the best innovation that you can find as it relates to, to my type of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's terrific. So I, I, going back to the Milton Friedman tenant, I kind of thought about it in my mind in a little bit of a modified way that the way you put it is something like consumers will destroy a company that no longer provides value. I think maybe in, in more of a leadership specific context, we could say that team, team members will destroy or reject the leader that no longer provides value. hundred percent. How do you make sure you don't slip into that then? I mean, in addition to this wonderful illustration you've given us of this, you don't just let policies build and build and become so ridiculous that nobody can navigate them, but you you kill a stupid policy if, if you come up with something better. Is there any other keys to there to doing that well? Um, I, I mean, if you were to ask me that in the context of leadership, for me, um, it's it's one word and it's ego. So, the, you know, the bigger the ego, um, the, uh, you know, the, the higher risk you have, uh, for, for people rejecting you. I, and that's, I, I think that's, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. The tough part is agreeing with that and then actually self-regulating yourself to not let your ego get too big. So, um, you know, that, that's being receptive to feedback. Um, that is, that is truly asking, with the intent to listen, um, and, uh, and ultimately, uh, understanding that you may not have the best answer. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, an example, uh, that I'll use there is, um, you know, I, I have, uh, I've had, I've had a number of absolutely wonderful, um, wonderful employees work with me, uh, over the years. I, I don't necessarily consider myself a boss, you know, and, and, and I don't like command and control leadership. I prefer a much more collaborative style. So, um, a while back I was sitting down with somebody who was new to my team. 
a little bit of a leadership transition. And the first thing I did was I sat down and I said, okay, let's, let's get everything out on the table. And we were doing a personality assessment. So I took personality assessment and I took mine that I had taken and I put it in front of, of us. And then I took, took hers and uh, she of course had it in advance and we, we put it down and I said, okay, here's all the natural points of conflict between the two of us, given these personality profiles. So let's figure out a way to work together. And I will tell you right now that my number one is you need to help me regulate myself by providing honest feedback. That's an expectation of you. And, and she looked at me and she's like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> uh. I'm all, you know, nobody's ever told me that. I don't know how, how you're my, you're my boss. You're my leader. You're supposed to tell me, you know, how to do things. And I'm like, nope, that's not how it works. It's not how I work. Um, you know, you, you're an adult. We're both professionals. Uh, we both deserve the same level of respect as it relates to the work that we do. And, um, but that was really kind of the beginning of the relationship because honestly, up until that point, there was kind of a wall and, mm -hmm. and, a, and a lot of kind of latent fear, um, from this individual. And so, you know, having those types of honest situations and being, being humble enough to know sometimes you're wrong. And, and I've made plenty of mistakes to prove that I'm not always right. And, you know, but being, having the humility to admit that is, is critical. Here's a fun mm -hmm. fact, uh, for anybody who's worried about that or is in an environment where they're like, oh my gosh, I can't say that I did anything wrong, uh, you know, for fear of, you know, career suicide and, you know, it's just not, not how we do things. You know, um, if you look at the psychological studies, people that admit that they're wrong are actually more trusted than people that don't. So, uh, it's actually better to just admit, you know what? I really screwed this up. People will actually like you more, uh, and they'll give you a little bit more grace next time. So, you know, th there's nothing wrong with admitting, wow, we should have done this differently. I'm sorry. That was my bad. And, and, and moving on. That's better than trying to mask it and, you know, play the political game. So interesting because in listening to you, I'm just thinking through the idea that, that things used to be different. And of course, things are, I mean, that's a given, like things used to be different. You know, big surprise there. But what I mean by that is that, that it used to be the norm uh, to not speak up and to, to not uh, challenge your boss, things like that. And I think that's, that's true in a, I guess, a, a literal sense. But I think it also was that our, like, I think our, our parents and grandparents were missing out because it's not like it wouldn't have worked then, like if someone were to speak up. But there was just this barrier of, I don't know if that was just kind of coming out of the Industrial Revolution or whatever it was that created that. But uh, I think it's just fascinating that uh, we're in this and exciting that we're in this place now where more and more. In fact, just on an interview I had earlier today, there was a, a conversation that was kind of about this, of, uh, of challenging some of those old norms that are really can be very destructive, uh, speaking of, I guess, that concept of destruction in the more negative sense. Absolutely. And, you know, I, so I work in a manufacturing environment. You know, my context is what you would traditionally assume would be command and control leadership style. Um, you know, it's the, you know, I gave you an instruction, you follow it or else I'll fire you for insubordination. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and there are situations and where that, that's necessary. Right. When you look at like, you know, militaristic operations and things like that. You don't want somebody arguing, going, you know what? I really don't believe in that formation. I don't think that that's going to work. I think I'd rather go sit up over here behind this bush and hope somebody doesn't shoot at me. You know, like, okay, it doesn't work in all, all contexts, but in the context in my world of, of human resources and culture building and, you know, thought leadership, 
um, you know, it, it, it is, it is very, very critical. Um, but I, I think it also, you also have to be a little bit adaptable. Um, but, but the other thing I would say is, you know, to your comment on, you know, um, the, the change and kind of the, what we're seeing, uh, in the marketplace is a lot of that is, is just individuals, um, my my opinion is individuals have not had to rely on authority figures to find the answer and mm. you know google internet blame whatever you want um they can fact check you in about 2 seconds if you <laughs> self assured about something so you know the and and when that information is so broadly available and you're in a in a role where you know thinking is important um it's more about how you how you execute on the information that you have at your fingertips as opposed to being the owner of the right way to do something. And, and for me, that's why, I mean, it just makes sense. That's how, that's where collaboration becomes important. Uh, but then I also think, you know, maybe a little bit of a, a comment there is you also have to make a decision sometimes and there, and, and not every decision is going to be going to be loved. Um, so I, you know, there is a little bit of a balance there, uh, which is, Probably my favorite thing in my job is it's like there's never a right answer. It's always gray. It's like this calculus formula that nobody really understands, and you're just trying to get as close to balanced as possible. Um, but but sometimes you just gotta you just gotta swing for the fences and say, you know what? Thanks for the feedback, everybody. We're gonna go here. We're gonna see how it goes. We'll make changes along the way. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I really love that. So the other phrase that you introduced me to is that you live by is rampant incrementalism. Teach us about that. How does that play a role in the way you approach things? Yeah, so I can't take credit for this term. I actually heard this from a politician. So, you know, take that for take that for what it's worth. But <laughs> yeah. sometimes being in HR feels like you're you're sitting in a session of Congress and you're waiting for, you know, uh 147 versus 148. Um and but it's a principle I prescribe to that is simply that as long as you're getting incrementally better every day you're on the right track. And I think some of the frustration that I face personally is I'm a naturally impatient person um, and I like to get things done. And when I don't necessarily see the progress uh, that I'd like to see, um, it can be a little bit de uh, demotivating. And so, you know, I, th the rampant incrementalism piece for me, it's a, it's a little bit personal where it's just, it helps me with my mental health so that I feel like I'm actually doing something and, and doing doing the right thing. But it's also something that I, I definitely use with my team because if I'm feeling a little bit demotivated, um, and they, and they gotta be feeling it too, right? Like, you know, your feeling as a leader will trickle down to the people that are, that are working with you. And so, um, you know, I always kind of preach that, um, you know, to the team. I was just on a call today and we were talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Talk about something that's not black and white and something that, um, you know, there's going to be setbacks. Uh, we're going to change things. Uh, we're going to get feedback that's not comfortable. Uh, and there's going to be times where we feel like, wow, we really suck. Um, and, and the, the, the point of, of the incremental progress is, you know, as long as you are marching in the right direction and you have your true north in mind and you're kind of walking on the right path, you're going to go sideways here and there. But as long as you're incrementally getting a little bit better, you're doing the right thing. And sometimes you're going to move faster than others. And that's, you know, I think, um, you know, that, that just fits in, in my world, um, of progress. That's how I approach everything that I do, um, in my organization. 
Well, it's kind of funny because it, it sounds like this, this concept rampant incrementalism uh, is a very patient approach. I mean, it kind of, but by its nature, it's patient in that it's, it's uh, accepting and embracing the idea of very uh, incremental, you know, small, relatively small progress. You describe yourself as a naturally impatient person. So I'm wondering if there's kind of a balancing of the scales there <laughs> or your tendency is like, you want to just blow everything up, uh, but you re- recognize the wisdom of being okay with incremental growth. I learned the hard way. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and I, and I, um, I'm a naturally, I'm impatient and I'm very directive. And, uh, those two things don't necessarily go with along, uh, the lines of patience, but you know what I learned early in my career and, and I still make this mistake, uh, today, but when you try to shove something down people's throats and say, this is the way we're going, deal with it. Cause I say so, uh, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And I've had those moments where, you know what, I thought this was the right decision. So we just made the decision and we just, we just, you know, kind of blasted our way forward with it, um, only to see it be completely unsustainable because I didn't have the buy-in of the people that needed to understand. And for me, it was actually part of my inclusion journey to kind of be much more readily mindful of people whose mindsets were different or who took a little bit longer to buy in or needed a little bit more information, um, you know, to, to come along uh, for the ride. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's something that I've kind of, I've, I've learned through the course of my career, how to, how to do things. And, um, yeah, I can, I, I could name a couple stories that, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend, uh, leaders do so, but we don't, we don't have time for all that. <laughs> maybe, maybe another time then, cause yeah. I'm curious for sure. That sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Well, let, let me just say that the HR guy should never drop an F bomb when he gets so mad that a compliance uh, thing wasn't, wasn't followed. So it was a long time ago, but, um, I still hear about it from my former coworkers. <laughs> I don't work at that company anymore, but, um, not because of that. I didn't get fired because of that, but I certainly lost, yeah. I certainly lost respect for my peers that, that definitely happened, you know? So it, it and it was a moment of mm. frustration and, and, uh, you know, yeah, I was, I was overly directive to use an HR term. Well, I appreciate, yeah, nice. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you sharing that because so many of at least for me, my, 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 in my life as well, so many of the most important and powerful lessons have come through failure and not through success. Of course, we all want to succeed and success is wonderful, but the truth is, I mean, there's, there's peaks and there's valleys. And sometimes we learn more from being in the valley than on the peak. And of course there's, there's lessons both sides, but I'm grateful that you would be, uh, be open and share that with us because we all have a long, long list in my case, much longer list of those <laughs> than those hero moments where it's like, everything's perfect and I'm amazing. So I, I love that. I don't, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've heard the case or read the case of the British cycling team, uh, David Brelsford, but that's come to my mind a couple of times as you've been talking. Um, have you heard of that by chance? I'm just curious. Nope. Okay. I won't take a bunch of time to tell about it, but the con the core concept behind that is really the same. Uh, he, the, the term that emerged from the case that I'll briefly describe here in just a second was the aggregation of marginal gains. So kind of a more wordy way of saying the same thing. But the the situation was that the British cycling team was kind of a laughing stock of the cycling world uh, back in the early, I guess, early 21st century. And David Brelsford came in and within just a few years, they went from being the bottom to being one of the highest meddling teams in the Olympics 
I think it was 2008 Olympics, if I'm remembering. And the way he did it, you know, for me, I would think, well, he probably just got rid of all the riders and all the bikes and <laughs> all the regimen and just started over. And that's how he got there. But it wasn't that. That wasn't the case. It was through this idea of incremental improvements. He painted the vans of the or the the floor of the vans that they would transport their bikes in white so they could detect when there was dust and make sure there's no dust. Uh, they took mattresses with them that were suited to each rider when they were on the road so that the riders could get a good night's sleep. They looked more carefully at what the riders were eating, you know, just little tiny 1% type improvements. And that's, that's really what inspired it when you talked about kind of that 1% concept, but, but it truly was revolutionary just within a few years. So I think, I guess the part of the reason I, I add this story on to what you shared is that any listeners who may be skeptical about this idea and might feel like there's more of a need for dramatic change and sometimes that's true, but if you're leaning that way, be careful because it's not that you can't change rapidly. I mean, if you improve 1% a day, then you're 100% better in 100 days. You know, it doesn't have to be right. like, oh, we got 1% better every five years and now it's going to take us three lifetimes to to really have have it visible where we can see the change. So anyway, didn't mean to go off too much on that, but I'm grateful that you inspired that memory in my mind of that case. Absolutely. No, it's interesting. So, um, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm also a big believer that, um, everything is self-help in, in a certain standpoint. And so, um, and like I mentioned, not the most patient guy, but one of the things that I did do is, um, I got into triathlon training and, and it's the exact same principle, you know, on a very different level, on a physical level. Um, and let me tell you, I'm not, I, I've got a half Ironman coming up. I'm not running the half Ironman full bore. Uh, you know, it's, it's literally like, it's like five more minutes a day, uh, mm -hmm. every day, week over week, slowly and surely, you know, building up to the point that you can do it. And, and for me, it's not, I'm, I mean, all I want to do is finish, but it's, it's just about crossing that finish line and knowing that I set the goal and had to get there, you know, eventually. And, and yeah, so that's, that's some of my own self-help. I love that. Yeah. What, what a great principle that, that fits right into kind of the theme of our discussion today. So this has been tremendous. So as we wrap up then, what would you suggest as an action item that our listeners can really grab hold of? Maybe it's tied into this idea of uh, rampant incrementalism or uh, anyway, maybe something else is in your mind, but what would you leave our listeners as a challenge today? That's good. I think um, the first challenge is be open-minded to change something that you've been working around for a while and ask why we do it that way. Um, whatever that may be within your organization, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask, uh, but I guarantee you there's something you're doing every single day that is a, a frustration or a pain point for you. Just, just look at that one thing and see if you can get rid of it. And then, you know, focus on how you can fix it. I think the other thing too is, 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 be mindful of ego, be humble and, um, and, and open yourself up for the negative feedback. You'll, it'll, it'll help you in the long run. Awesome. I absolutely love both of those. I hope that everyone listening will take both and, uh, <laughs> apply immediately. Uh, and I know that meaningful results will come, uh, if, if we will all do that. So thanks for leaving, leaving us with that. Kyle, if people want to connect with what you're doing, uh, listen to your podcast, see the great work you're doing with, uh, with CPM and also with Disrupt HR Cedar Valley. How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So uh, you can check out the podcast. It's uh, www.rebelhumanresources.com. 
Uh, I've got a, a website, www.kylekyleroad.com, and I'm out there on LinkedIn. So check it out. If you're interested in joining our organization, I'm always hiring and looking for great people. So I'll put that plug in there for CPM. <laughs> Fantastic. No, that's awesome. We'll, we'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes so it's easy to get to those. And Perfect. Again, once again, I'm just so grateful you could join me today, Kyle. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Spence. Have a good one. Okay. Hey, you too. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.